0: everybody, and welcome to the New Books Network podcast. I am Deidre Tyler. Today, we'll be talking with Cindy Kojin, author of The Rise of Women and Wealth, Our Fight for Freedom, Equality, and Control of Our Financial Future. How are you doing today, Cindy? I'm doing terrific. Thanks for having me, Deidre. Thank you. I wonder if you could begin the interview by saying a few words about yourself and how you became interested in this project. Yes, that'd be terrific. Yes.
1: Um, Well, I've been in the financial service industry going on my 36th year. I started in this industry um, right out of college, and I found myself in an industry at that time that was primarily male-dominated. Um, It was an industry that over my 36 years, I was constantly proving myself and, you know, having to deal with obstacles being a female in the money business. But over time, and, you know, with great determination, I survived and I was able to thrive in the area of financial planning. Um, And I learned over time that, uh, you know, as I evolved in my career over the years, that I believe today Americans um, have a financial literacy crisis they're dealing with. And the reason I wrote my first book, which is uh, a Wall Street Journal bestseller last year called Redefining Financial Literacy was to encourage investors to get more engaged. Um, And then, you know, as I thought this through and the research came about that women unfortunately scores very low in financial literacy tests. So I thought it would be appropriate to write a book to inspire and motivate women to take charge of their financial future and give them actionable steps that they could use to focus on knowledge and improving their financial situation as well as their financial independence, in a world today that in the next decade, women are gonna control two-thirds of the wealth in America.
0: Why is it important for women to understand their financial, historical, and political and economic knowledge?
1: So I think it's important, Um, great question, That women understand what has happened to us over the last 2000 years, and I like to call it we were under systems of control and that system of control is called patriarchy, in which men really defined our roles at home. They gave us guidelines and rules, And, and in some cases they considered us, you know, second class citizens. And I know over the last hundred years, out of those thousands of years that we have endured and have been suppressed, there's been dramatic change. But to understand this change, I think it's important for women to be aware, to understand and accept, and to move forward for change to happen. Now, historical, political, and economic and financial forces, they they intersect and overlap. And so what I did is I broke that down for women to understand the three waves of feminism and what women have accomplished in the last 100 years. You know, and the first wave was sort of in the 1920s where women had the right to vote. Um, the second phase was in the 60s where women entered the workforce. And the third phase was um, you know, bringing attention in the 1970s to this toxic masculinity in forms of sexual harassment that happened in the workplace. And mind you, women have made amazing changes in those 100 years. Um, however, for women to really make dramatic change and end these waves of feminism, I think women need to achieve financial uh, empowerment, engagement. So they both can not only get equal wages in the future, but also have financial equality. So this forthcoming book and the rise of women and wealth can hopefully allow women to be more independent and not just rely on men for their financial well-being, especially, as I mentioned earlier, with women controlling two-thirds of the wealth in the next decade. I think it's a time in history we've waited 2,000 years for, and being aware of this is how change and how empowerment takes place.
0: Describe the first wave of feminism and the importance of Fannie Perkins.
1: Yeah, so the first wave of feminism, in my opinion, was the ability to vote. and That was sort of like in the 1920s, and we have to give credit to Susan B. Anthony and Elizabeth Stanton, who were feminine giants who paved the way for women to vote. But we really need to go back to the 1700s and 1792, where I believe um, a woman, her name is Mary Wollstonecraft. She wrote a book called Vindication of Women's Rights. She was sort of the first trailblazer who who fought for women to have equal education because if women had equal education as men back in the early or later 1700s then women can have freedom so between 1792 it was almost 130 years you know of women fighting we finally had the ability to vote in the 20s and where frances perkins comes in was right after that period of time She was one of those historical figures who led by example. She shattered the glass ceiling of her day because she was a woman who reached one of the highest levels in government. And many people may not know this, but it was Franklin Roosevelt who asked Frances Perkins to become the Secretary of Labor. And she became the first woman to be appointed in Congress. And this woman, amazing accomplishments. I mean, she was the one who helped Roosevelt with the New Deal. And I know Roosevelt got the credit, but the architect behind the New Deal was Frances Perkins. She created her social security system, unemployment system, pensions for the elderly. She was the one who declared the minimum wage, uh, controlled the overtime laws. She was an amazing and inspiring woman. And that's why I sort of bring her together, not only with you know, Susan B. Anthony and Elizabeth Stanton. Um, But she was really a woman who made major change in the first wave of feminism.
0: Now we're moving to the second wave. And one person I um, picked out was Ruth Bader Ginsburg. She played a role. Tell us more.
1: Yeah, she did. But, you know, we also have to acknowledge Betty Friedman, who wrote her book, in 1963. So she came sort of a little bit before um, some of the things that Ruth Bader was doing, because Betty Friedman in the second wave published a best selling book called The Feminine Mystique, which changed everything for women. And her message is women could have fulfilling lives, make a difference in society, and have a career outside the home. And as we know, Ruth Bader was an intellectual giant. She became a powerful voice as women entered the workforce. Um, She did some mind-blowing things in her um, legal, uh, with her brilliant legal mind. I mean, she was one of nine women who were able to get into Harvard in 1960. But some of the things that she did was amazing. I mean, women who were in the military were forced to have abortions. And she, um, her legislation in the Supreme Court stopped that. And then. Of course, uh, legal equality, men were only in charge of making decisions when it comes to estate planning. So she was able to change some of those things as well. So she definitely was a woman who fought for wage discrimination and one of the giants that definitely get credit in the second wave of feminism.
0: Now you talked about the importance of walking. How is this connected to finance?
1: I'm so glad you asked that question because I dedicated two chapters of my book to intuition. Now, I'm going to answer your question about walking in a minute. But first, I want to talk about feminine intuition. Um, And I want to connect with walking and intuition. Um, You know, women rely more than men on intuition. Um, And I'd like to bring out in my book that there were some famous men, Albert Einstein and Steve Jobs, who claim that their great leaps forward was due to intuition. And in my book, I talk about intuition and five steps women can take to be more intuitive. And that's number one, being present, reflective, writing things down and trusting their intuition. Because a lot of the philosophers during the Greek mythology, like, Let's talk about two thousand years ago. A lot of these gentlemen used to take walks. They would study in the morning, and then for two hours they would take walks, and they experience many ep- epiphanies and sudden insights. So walking, in my opinion, helps block out our daily distraction. Um, it's simple. Uh, all we have to do is trust it. And when it comes to our finance, women, um, you know, Nellie will trust their their intuition but also trust their financial decisions because we know men tend to be more analytical while women tend to be more intuitive. So um, men are more attached to numbers. So I think women on the other hand will use their intuitive insights to make good decisions versus crunching numbers when it comes to their financial future. So I explain not only do women have to trust themselves and their intuitive insights, uh, but trust their decision-making and get knowledgeable when it comes to their financial future.
0: Can you give us the good news about the 37% of women who are now CEOs? And what does this mean for building generational wealth?
1: Yeah, so if you look at women who are CEOs um, in this country, you know, we're, t- we're at 15%. I know we've made some progress, but if you even go back 10 years, it was 8%. Um, 15% is sort of laughable in today's age. Um, but what matters most is there's only two black women who are CEOs in the Fortune 500 companies and that's unacceptable, okay? And I think today, corporate America, it's not that women are giving up. I think corporate America is giving up on women and women in general. So I think, you know, as time goes on and women get more financially engaged, They'll have the confidence to move up the corporate ladder um, as well as, you know, even consider starting their own business because a lot of people, a lot of these women have given up on corporate America and actually um, started their new business with, you know, some of the pandemic issues that has happened. But women just need to stay engaged. They need to be confident and then they need to fight and stay perse- persevere for whatever their dreams and goals are in the workforce.
0: Now let's move back to the third wave of feminism. Yeah, tell us more about that. So,
1: in my opinion, I think Anita Hill led the first, the third wave. She had the courage to come um, public with. She's probably one of the first women who became public about her situation um, with sexual harassment. And so, you know, it wasn't until years later to almost 2017 that the Me Too movement has now exposed this toxic masculinity in the workforce by exposing sexual harassment, um, not only in the workplace, but it was exposed in the film and TV industry. So Anita Hill um, had the courage and was credited for the third wave uh, to make sure this toxic, masculinity the ugly side i call of patriarchy must be eliminated and it's important to understand the relationship between the lack of women in those positions and sexual harassment and and i think that is coming to fruition today but it took anita hill in the 1990s to come public um and to eliminate in that type of patriarchy um discrimination in the workplace today.
0: You described the fourth wave of feminism and the money aspects. What are some of the advice you're giving women in present day regarding their money management?
1: Well, I think the fourth wave,
0: again, we've waited
1: 2,000 years for this. Women are on a major change, and I call it the financial revolution for women, because in the next 10 years, women are going to control the wealth, they're definitely more educated. And these were things that men dominated over the last 2000 years. So, so this is a time for women to find uh, financial freedom, financial independent, um, and potentially be no longer dependent on men. And how is that going to happen? It's going to happen with a simple concept of improving your financial literacy. Unfortunately, women score 18% on financial literacy tests. So it's my mission and my focus to empower women with financial competence such as budgeting, saving, investing, and the importance of building generational wealth, not only from the micro aspect of financial literacy, but also the macro aspect of money management.
0: You talk about patriarchy and how that plays a role in women's advancement. Do you think things have changed for women entering the work
1: environment today? I think patriarchy is all around us. However, I do believe positive change is happening, but not fast enough. Um, Women definitely have greater opportunities than they did decades ago, but much needs to be done to dismantle patriarchy once and for all. And we need to all understand how patriarchy has been around us for thousands of years. And I truly believe that both men and women need to work together and collaborate, not women walking in front of men or behind men, but walking aside each other and understanding um, what women have been through. And I hope that this book offers a small contribution to the end of patriarchy.
0: You end the book by talking about the realms of possibility. Can you elaborate on this?
1: Yeah. um, I call my investment model the REALM model, which stands for the Retail Endowment Allocated Model. And if you Google that in the dictionary, you'll see the REALM model is a special kind of knowledge. So I love the word REALM. It has multiple meanings. It could mean knowledge. It can mean an idea. Um, But I always tell women to end patriarchy, it's within the realm of our possibilities. For example, your intuition is a powerful form of knowledge that women need to trust and use that intuition to make good decisions. Um, So I think, you know, it comes down to women embracing change, empowering change and having the confidence to change. So that equality, not only in our income opportunities, but equality in our financial decisions um,
0: being made by getting engaged. Now, what is the message you would like your readers to leave with after they finish reading your book?
1: Well, let me see. I want the readers to understand the negative impact on patriarchy and the false doctrine that's been passed down to women for thousands of years. I want men also to be engaged and understand how patriarchy has alienated and suppressed women over time. And I also want men to recognize the impact of patriarchy that they've had maybe being brought up in a family with toxic masculinity, encourage men to express their emotions. I wrote this book to ultimately inspire both men and women to work together of agents of possible change. And I want women to empower themselves by improving their financial literacy so they are no longer dependent on men for their identity. So the rise of women is intertwined with our financial well-being.
0: Now, what's the next project you will be working on?
1: Well, I'm in the process of writing my third book, three books in three years. Um, Actually, I've been doing it for quite a few years. So my next project is to talk about the broken retirement system. You know, people are living longer. So that means people are going to be needing to make their money last as long as possible. I think today, relying on just stocks and bonds, in my professional opinion, and after doing all my research, is no longer a sustainable strategy, that investors need to think about new asset classes, and that this three-legged stool, Social Security and pensions, which we were supposed to depend on for retirement, that um, this three-legged stool is broken, that Investors need to start early and focus on their retirement goals because only 3% of Americans get pensions today. Social Security is on the verge of bankruptcy. I mean, if it goes insolvent, it will happen in, they say, in the next 12 years and that people will get a 20% reduction. So people all of a sudden wake up and are now responsible for their retirement, which once we depended on our government and our employer. But the problem is, is investors have not been given financial literacy training in high school and college. And now we are depending on this stock and bond model to sustain us over our retirement. And in my books, I write about the 60-40 may no longer be a strategy of the future that investors need to engage on other asset classes, which I call the realm model to help combat forces such as political and economic risk, that has broken our capitalistic system. And that there are ways that investors can fight back. And the way we can fight back is protecting you, educating you, empowering you to build a sustainable retirement. Because there are endowments and rich people in America that have invested money, outside of just using stocks and bonds. So my goal is to get this information disseminated out there for the public to have access to so they can fight forces that they have no control over, like inflation, rising uh, interest rates, high tax rates, or the Federal Reserve stimulating. I think we should all be on the same playing field having access to the same information. Well,
0: I cannot wait until your next book comes out Thank you so much for being on the show. It was very informative. Thank you very much.